0: I'm going to invite you this morning to turn to chapter 1 of the Gospel according to Mark as we continue our Bible study there. Uh, if, if you're visiting with us this morning, we are preaching through the book of Mark, and uh, we've been doing that for several weeks now. And uh, so we've been learning about who Jesus is and what he's come to do. Uh, that's, that's what the Gospel accounts are, as accounts of the life of Christ. Uh, They're given with very different agendas to very different groups of people. And we are looking at the Gospel of Mark. And uh, to kind of review as best I can very quickly for you, essentially what we've seen is that God has come and broken into creation and sent his son miraculously uh, to recreate what has been broken. Okay, so that there are great parallels between Mark chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 1, the story of creation, where God breaks into human history and miraculously and incredibly creates, right, and then enters into relationships with people. Okay, in the same sense, there's this recreation account in Mark chapter 1 where the announcement comes down that the king is coming, and in fact the king has come. And so, so the story of Mark then is this very fast-paced account of who this king is, what his kingdom looks like, what the parameters around his kingdom are to be, and 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 so there's this fast paced account of of Jesus and of his life and of his ministry that, that the king has come and he's come to be with and to save sinners, me and you, and so so we've seen some incredible stories. So so that what what. What this book has been doing, at least in the immediate context, is there have been stories about these casting out of demons and these miraculous workings and signs and wonders and healings, and other of which we're going to see this morning. And I've told you that up to this point, the primary objective behind those stories and the miraculous accountings and the healings is at least primarily to sort of give proof and to, to, to bolster the claims that the king is making. Because Jesus, the king, has come, and his announcement has been made. He was coronated by God his Father at the baptism. He is indeed deity, and he has come to do what man for himself cannot do, which is to make him righteous. He's going to save them from their bondage to sin and from the wrath of God that is coming because of their sin. And, it, and if these are the claims that he's making, it begs the question. Is this guy able to do it? And so most of what we've seen to this point is stories that give credence to the claims that Jesus is making. That he can indeed do it. You know how I know he has power over sin and death and hell? Because he has power not only in those realms, but in the physical world. To do what, to do what people cannot do. So it is to give proof, in some sense, that, that we are in good hands. And that our king can indeed be trusted. But we're going to see a little bit different story this morning. We're going to look at a story where Jesus, continuing along in his ministry, heals a leper. And and what I want you to think about this morning is that in the context of healing a leper, this is not just another story about the power of Jesus. This is a picture of redemption. And and it's a beautiful and an incredible picture. So that as the first chapter of Mark comes to a close, and we've seen these sort of miraculous things that Jesus has been doing to substantiate his claims to be the king and to bring about his kingdom. We're going to close this chapter with a story that not only also speaks to his validity and his power, but it also sets the tone for his working. And what he's planning on doing. So that, so that in the story of Jesus dealing with this guy, this rotten, dying leper, what we get is a beautiful picture of the story of redemption. Of the plan of God in the person of Jesus for saving pathetic, rotten, dying sinners. And so in some sense, I'm going to ask you to uh, identify with the leper a little bit as we read this story. But we're going to be in Mark chapter 1. We are up to verse 40, and so we're going to read verses 40 through 45. So if you add your copy of God's Word, I'm going to invite you to turn there. But before we look to read and to learn, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you that you've given us your Word to teach us, to train us in righteousness, to correct us where we are wrong, Lord, your Word is sufficient to teach us about Christ and His work. And Father, we pray right now that you would enable us by your Holy Spirit to look deeply into your word and to find in it truth. Lord, that we would learn from it this morning in a way that we never have before. God, that not just not just learning in our heads, but that we would be changed in a way that we never have before. Lord, that it would be learning in our heads and transformation in our hearts. Lord, may your word have its completed work in us. May we be moldable clay this morning in your hands. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 1, beginning of verse 40. Let's read these verses together. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him. And he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priests, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places, and they came to him for every, from every direction. Okay, so so the theme sort of of this morning as we look at this passage together, beyond that that I've sort of already spoken and articulated for you, is what I want you to think about is isolation. Have you, have you ever felt isolated and alone? You know, I, I think about um, in, in 2002, the summer of 2002, I, I did some missionary work in Burkina Faso, West Africa, where a small a small group of us, we, um, we, we backpacked out to uh, some villages of a tribal people group and unreached people with the gospel to try to live with them and, and learn their language and speak to them in terms that they can understand so that we can try to share with them the, the value and the gospel of, of Jesus. Uh but I guess, to, to be honest, in, in my life, as far as I remember, uh, that I can think of, the time that I spent there, at least when I first, I remember going out to the first village where we were, and the time that we spent there, that's probably the most isolated that I've ever felt. I mean, I mean, we were miles away from electricity, from, from any, any other than the three people who were with me, from anyone that I knew, uh from 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 any sort of comfort zone that i might have had and and beyond that uh it's a it's a it's an entirely muslim area and it's an entirely group of people uh, an entirely muslim group of people and so even in a spiritual sense it's a very very dark place and to know that i was in a place where there were potentially zero christians other than the ones that i brought with me uh zero christians it was a very unique experience and a feeling of isolation i I don't know, maybe you can go back to your childhood at some point and some feeling that you had of extreme isolation. Maybe you grew up on the wrong side of the tracks and you were treated differently from from your friends. Uh, Maybe you've gone through some terrible experiences in in your life or in your marriage where, where you felt like you were totally isolated and all alone. And to take that a step further, maybe even ostracized for the way that you looked or for the way that you acted or for... For whatever the case may be, but I want you to think about what it means and what it feels like to be in complete and total isolation. Because I think that in order to really understand what's going on in this passage, you have to understand, first of all, the isolation that the leper felt. Now, leprosy is a a disease that we really don't have any grasp upon. And you've probably, if you've been in churches for very long, you've heard preachers articulate and tell you all about what leprosy is and what it does. And it's most commonly, probably the biblical form of leprosy that's dealt with here is Hansen's or Hansen's I'm not a doctor, I don't know which of those but it's one of the two. Uh, disease some of you in here in this room can, can inform me later. Uh, but, but what you need to understand about this disease is that it's a disease that primarily deals with the destruction and the deterioration of nerve endings. Okay, And so, so the leprosy that this man would have been dealing with would have been a disease that deteriorated his ability to feel things. could feel his eyelids, his nose, his mouth, his hands, his feet, his legs, his arms, you name it. He would have, he would have begun to, 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 to lose feeling of those things. And so one of the things that happens with this disease is that as you lose feeling in certain places, and certain parts of your body, then you lose the ability to feel pain. And some of you may be thinking that sounds like a great... Idea, But pain is a great blessing to us as people because when things hurt, you stop doing it, right? And so that so that, if you, so that if you step on something really sharp, you get off of it really quickly because it hurts really badly and it can bring about great harm to your body. Well, when you lose the ability to feel those things, you can hurt yourself very badly. You can have severe wounds and severe problems that you are unaware of, completely unaware of and unable to deal with. And you don't know to, to, to stop or to get off of it or to move or to remedy the problem. Well, one of the problems with that is, is it leaves you open to all sorts of infectious diseases. Right? You, you develop all, you, you contract all sorts of things. You have, you have wounds and you have sores. And then the then the bacterias get in that you didn't know were there and then they get to eat. And then it's deteriorated to a point that you can't sort of repair, especially in the time when we're dealing with here in the scriptures, they, they didn't have the antibiotics and the medications and things of that nature. And so so this man, who was a leper, what we need to understand is, is that he was potentially and probably immobile because of the loss of limbs, which meant that he would have been reduced to being a beggar. He would have been totally unable to do anything for himself. But beyond all of the physical and emotional sort of isolation and turmoil that he would have felt, the medical difficulties that he would have experienced, the sores, I mean, he would have just looked gross. He probably would have smelled even grosser. He would have got all sorts of bacteria all over his body. What you understand is, much like you, as I'm explaining this to you, none of the people in his day wanted to be around him. (laughs) Listen, that's a pretty tough life for a beggar, isn't it? If you're reduced to begging... But the people that you need to beg from are uninterested in getting close enough to you to give anything to you that you're begging for, lest they receive something in return that they're not interested in getting. So what it leads to is extreme ostracizing. He, he would have been ostracized from his community. So the question is, what did they do? They came up with all sorts of sort of interesting ways to deal with people who were lepers. Well, what did they do? They put them outside of the city. Well, the cities of that day, they had, they had walls large city walls and gates outside the city gates, they would have made a colony of lepers. They would have put them in a place together so that they could all have their disease together, that they could just sort of die and deteriorate together. And and, and if, by some chance, a leper would have come into contact with other people or, for whatever reason, at some point in the day, made his way into the city, you know what would have happened? He would have had to ring bells and do things so that as he came through the city, everyone would have been able to recognize him, as if it, as if they wouldn't have been able to. He would not have been allowed to cover his his limbs that he might have had if he was able to move at all, because everyone had it had to be visible to everyone there. Because you know what, when they saw him coming and they heard him coming, they would have all shouted, "Unclean, unclean, unclean!" I mean, look, we live in a day where you know. You, you can't call anybody a name, right? I mean, and rightfully so. And and you can't you can't put anybody out of the city because of anything. Because you're not allowed to ostracize. You're not allowed to segregate. You're not allowed to to, to put away. And and in some sense, the 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 isolation that this man would have felt would have been is impossible for us to really comprehend. But but on some level, he felt. The, the shame of being different and dirty that, that everyone would have flung at him in a way that none of us can probably understand but, but I want you to try to understand just a little bit about what he was feeling can you imagine walking around and having people yell bald or fat or too skinny scrawny, small black, white, Asian, smelly, everywhere you went, right? So, so there would have been this extreme sense of awareness about who he was and about how terrible his condition was. And what you got to understand is, is it was a dreaded disease that made him a social outcast It made him not only physically unclean, but ceremonially unclean. So much so that if anybody dared to touch a leper, or if they accidentally came into contact with a leper, guess what? There was all of these religious ceremonial things that they had to go and do before they could even be allowed back into society. You couldn't go to worship. You couldn't do anything. You couldn't go to the market. You had to go and wash, go see the priest, go do all of these rituals, these ceremonies, to cleanse yourself from the dirtiness. This disease was so bad, and the ostracizing of this man would have been so severe, the stigma attached with this dude's problem would have been such that the rabbis in the day, they were quoted all the time as saying, It is easier to raise the dead than to heal a leper. That's pretty fascinating. It's easier to raise the dead, which was impossible for all of them. None of them raised the dead. It's easier to raise the dead than it is to heal a leper, is what they would say. So it made him an unclean, a social outcast. Here's what it did. It put this man in a position where he was totally hopeless. And so as I've asked you to think about a time of isolation, I want you to feel, to try to remember in those times of sort of maybe feeling like an outcast, maybe feeling like like you've been ostracized, maybe feeling isolated to some degree, what did it feel like? To, to have maybe a little hope or less hope. This guy had no hope. He had no family. He had no friends. He had no way of making an income. He had no way of feeding himself. He had nothing but the other hopeless people that he lived in the colony with outside of the city in the deserted places where nobody wanted to go. But in this story, he has heard about a man. The man that we've been talking about up to this point who's been casting out demons And who's been healing sick mother-in-laws. And who's been healing all of the crowds that were brought to him that day in Capernaum? Remember, he's heard about this man with this incredible, miraculous power. Power not only over the spiritual realm, but over the physical one as well. Remember, that was last week's sermon. That Jesus does possess power over the physical, and he does care about the physical needs of his people. And this leper has heard about this man. And he goes to find him. And so the first is the isolation of the leper. Now we're going to look a little bit more at the text itself. So the isolation of the leper, but then there is this, uh, this incredible interaction with Jesus. He's heard about this man, Jesus, and he's heard about this man's power, and he is not going to be stopped to go find him. Look at, look at what it says. Now a leper came to him. This is staggering. I want you to take everything that I just told you, and then I want you to think about this question. Do you think it would have been acceptable for a leper to go into the city and come to Jesus? The ridicule that he would have experienced, the intensities of the feelings of isolation and being an outcast that he would have experienced, the the name-calling that he would have endured as he walked into the city in broad daylight to seek out this man. Listen, he had... He had no concern for what everybody else in the the world at that time thought. He had a a disease that left him hopeless, and he had heard about one who could fix it, and he was going to go at any cost to find him. He was going to go at any cost to find him. And so in broad daylight, he walks, marches right into the city, yelling, screaming, letting people know that he's coming, listening to the crowds call him unclean, pointing at him, scattering like ants, is, is just getting out of his way, clearing a path, and he does not care. I'm sure it bothered him, but not enough to stop him. And so he goes into the city, and he comes to Jesus. And he is imploring him, kneeling down to him. That's a proper posture for those that are going to seek something of Jesus. And then there's this very peculiar saying. Look at what he says in verse 40. He comes to Christ, he comes to this man, Jesus, and he says, If you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing, you can make me clean. This is the first interaction that he has. Once he goes and he finds him. This is, does this not find, do you not find this a little bit strange? What, what does this mean? Why does he come and ask him, if you are willing? Listen, I think it's because Jesus' ability to heal him was not in question. Go, go back to just a few verses to last week's sermon when he comes to Peter's mother-in-law. Right? And he and comes to her. And she's got a fever that's had her stricken in the bed, and she can't move, she can't do anything. She, and, and he reaches down and lifts her up by the head, and she's immediately fixing lunch. She's, she's, she's creatively, constructively fixed. Last week I said she was going to fix a ham sandwich for them, and some of you pointed out to me that they were Jews they would not have been fixing ham sandwiches. Good call. <laughs> Good call, right? I'm a product of my own culture. I eat ham sandwiches. Why doesn't everybody else? I, I, I love that. You know what that means to me? Some of you are listening very carefully. I like that. Call me out. Right? She gets up and she's fixing lunch for them. Immediately. She went from having a fever and being bedridden to being up and out doing her service duties as the mother and wife of the home. He had probably heard about all those people that they then brought to him, where it says in the the context there that every single solitary person with every single solitary problem that they brought to Jesus that day, in the moment, guess what happened? He healed every single one of them. That's unreal. They heard about the demons that he would cast out. This guy would have heard the rumors that were swirling such that the power of Christ could not have been called into question. It It was not an issue of power. However... The power of Jesus to heal Does not always bring about healing And listen to me very carefully What I articulated last week What I told you last week Just because Jesus can Coming to Christ Believing in the gospel It does not necessarily mean for you that he will Listen What happened in in the passage last week He heals all the people Every single one that they brought to him He, He gets up early the next morning Remember to go out and to pray And his apostles are trying to find him. They're looking for him. And they eventually go out and they find him in an isolated place praying by himself. And what do they tell him? They say, Master, everybody is looking for you. Well, why do you think everybody was looking for him? (laughs) Problems that needed to be fixed, healings that needed to be done. And what was Jesus' response? Then let us go to the next town where I may preach. Because, see, Jesus is not on your agenda, Jesus is not on my agenda. Jesus is not even on his own agenda. Remember, what does he say? I have come only to do the will of my Father, the one that sent me. And so we made the clear connection last week in the Bible between that Jesus is subservient and subject in his humanity to do that and only that that God the Father has sent to him. That's why so often, what do we find Jesus doing? Praying. Who's he talking to? His Father. And, and, and I don't always know why. I can't give you the reasons why. I have no idea why my dad had a stroke this morning at 63 years old. I don't know. It's not for me to know. I know that Jesus can fix it, so if I'm not asking him, I don't know who else am I going to ask. But he, just because my dad loves the Lord and is a believer, does it, does it, does it mean that he will? And we're going we're gonna to see that in a minute. But, but what, my point is this. He had every reason to say, Lord, if you're willing, you can. Because he knew about his power, his power was not going to be called into question at all based on the testimony. But what we know is that he didn't. He could have walked up and down the streets. Jesus could have just spoken a word and said, let everybody in the Middle East be healed. And everybody in a moment would have been healed. And he didn't do it that way. He didn't do it that way. Because his plans are different than ours. His agenda is different than ours. And he is first and foremost, as I made clear last week, he is first and foremost interested in what? Not our temporal happiness, but our eternal righteousness. So that if the difficulty, the problem, the sickness, the thorn in your flesh that Paul Paul experiences, if those things are for your good and ultimately are going to bring about your righteousness, then he's going to leave it with you. Everything that God does for his people is for our good, even if we don't get it. Ultimately, for his glory. So he looks at him and he says, Lord, if you are willing. Now, let me make one comment about this. There's a thought in many Christian circles That it is somehow sub-Christian or immature Christian to pray, Lord, let your will be done. I'm going to subject myself to your will. Rather than just naming it and claiming it. Right? That the Christian mature thing to do is to just demand that God do something for you. And demand it believing in faith and it will be done for you. Well, the problem with that is that's not the example that we have even of Jesus who was God Almighty. Why? Because before he went to the cross and he was in the garden of Gethsemane praying, what does the scripture tell us? He said, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. But then what does he say? But not my will, thine, be done. It's unbelievable. So that it is a perfectly appropriate way to pray or to approach and petition Jesus the way that the leper does. Lord, if you're willing, you can. Let your will be done. That's what Jesus prayed, and I would, I would argue that maybe that's what we should pray as well. So first, he is willing. He says, if you are willing, you can make it clean. But look at the second part of this interaction. Then Jesus, in verse 41, moved with compassion. He stretched out his hand to heal him. This is literally the word moved with pity. Moved with pity. I think about Hebrews chapter 4 and verse verse 15 where it says that we do not have a Savior, a Lord, a Master that cannot identify with our weaknesses. That He understands our frame and that He pities us. Listen, that's not a bad thing. How incredible is it that the Lord of glory, the creator of everything, the beginning and the end, the Alpha Omega, the all in all considers you and considers your weaknesses and your problems and has pity on you and is moved with compassion, that is brokenhearted for you and is moved to meet your needs. That he cares enough about every individual, one of his people, that he is moved with compassion for them. And this guy comes to him groveling and he says, Lord, if you're willing, I know you can. It says that Jesus is moved with pity. He looks and he sees someone that's in desperate need. And he says, I can. But then look, I am willing. It says he stretches out his hand. He's moved with compassion. He reaches out and he touches him. And he says, I am willing. To be healed. Be cleansed. Be made whole. So the next thing in this interaction, he's moved with pity. He is willing, and he touches him. Now, this brings us back to he's willing, because what was he willing? What does that mean? Does it only mean that he was just willing to do this expression of his power? No, I think it's far deeper than that. Because Jesus could have healed the guy any way that he wanted to. He could have just thought it, and he would have been healed. He could have blinked his eyes like I dreamed a genie, and he could have been healed. But what does Jesus do? He says, I am willing And he reaches down and he touches the guy. Not only was he willing to meet his need through a miraculous, creative expression of great power. He was willing to dirty himself to clean the person. That's unbelievable. You remember what I said a long ago about leprosy that day? What happened if you came into contact with a leper? You were religiously, socially, ceremonially dirty. And there was a whole prescription of things that you had to go do to cleanse yourself before you could even be brought back into society, before you were not ostracized and put out. So, yeah, Jesus is willing to do it. But Jesus is willing to get dirty himself and to take upon himself the dirtiness of the individual so that the dirtiness of the individual can be done away with. So he is moved with pity. He is willing, and he touches him, and he heals him. So let's go back to the text. As soon, in verse 42, as he had spoken, being Jesus, immediately, there's that word that we've seen so many times in the book of Mark, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Can you imagine what that guy would have felt like? He might have been missing fingers. Remember what I said last time? The difference in all the healers today? They don't have creative power, Jesus says. Right? He was missing a finger, and all of a sudden, like, Jesus touches him and says, Be healed, and bam, there's a finger. He went from broken, full of sores, full of disease, with no hope, to fully whole, completely restored, Brought back into society, accepted by his peers, totally clean, and now he had hope. In a a moment, in the blink of an eye, as fast as he could snap, Jesus touches him, he speaks to him, and the dude is made whole. He's well. It's incredible. It's instantaneous. It's miraculous. And it's creative. Jesus has the ability to create from nothing, to bring about restoration where restoration seems to be lost. To put the pieces back together of some intricate vase that's been dropped into 10,000 pieces. He has the ability to do what seems to be impossible. He's moved with pity. He's willing to meet his need and to dirty himself to do it. So he reaches and he touches it and he heals it instantaneously, miraculously, creatively. It's a good day for this guy. And can you imagine the joy that he would have felt? Now, in light of that joy, (laughs) there's this very strange command of the Lord. Look at what he says. Verse 44. uh, 43. And he strictly warned him, and he sent him away at once. This is a very, very, very strong verb. This is the same verb that Jesus uses when he runs the money changers out of the temple, when he's filled with righteous indignation. This is a big deal. He strictly warns him, command directly from Jesus, who's just done this for him. Warns him, sends away once. What does he say? See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Why in the world would he have commanded him to tell no one? Well, because the time of Jesus' persecution Have not yet come. Let me me ask you this. Do you think that the religious leaders of the day, if a well-known leper from the leper colony strolls up into the city as like, hey guys, I'm well? How do you think they're going to respond? It's not going to be good. Why? Because even if His body has been made well. He has not come and gone through all of the ritual and process to be cleansed in their eyes. And the result of this would have been to bring about the great disdain and persecution of the religious leaders of the day who put this man out and could not help him on any level. Do you see that? And Jesus, as he did with the demons, as he does with so many in his miraculous accounts, we're going to see more of this, because his time had not yet come. He knew what the plan of God was for his persecution and his sacrifice on our behalf, but he knew that that day had not yet come. And he tells him, don't go and tell anybody. What does he say? First, go to the priest. Why? To go through the process. Don't go out and start socializing and acting as if nothing was wrong because something was wrong. I don't don't need the problems that it's going to cause, is I think what Jesus was saying. And so he tells him, don't, don't go out and do publicly, go to the priest and do the things that are necessary prescribed in the Bible for cleansing. Because that would have alleviated all the problem. But what does the guy do? And I kind of feel sorry for him. I would have done the same thing. I would have been jumping up and down and hanging from the ceiling and calling every friend that I had, I like, dude, you've got to come check out my finger that's now back. you got to check it out. I mean, so in some sense, I, I kind of feel sorry for the guy because this command of Jesus is staggeringly peculiar. But it's for a purpose. And the purpose is that Jesus' time for persecution had not yet come. However, and, and this is... I'm going to try to bring this full circle with the last point, And it's going to be very brief. What's the result? What's the result of the guy going and doing exactly what Jesus told him not to do? Let's look at verse 45. However, he went out and he began to proclaim it freely to people and to spread the matter. Now, here, here it is. So that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city. Listen. But was outside in the deserted places. Do you see what just happened? Jesus gave hope to the hopeless and healed the broken by trading places with them. Where was the leper when we first met him? He was outside in the deserted places, ostracized from his community. Looked down upon because of his Dirtiness Now Jesus Has taken upon himself The uncleanness In order to give this guy life and hope And is now ostracized As a result See there's the Isolation of the leper There's this incredible interaction with Jesus But in all of this It's a story with a loaded meaning, because what the author is trying to get us to see is an image of redemption. See, this pattern, this picture should sound really familiar to those of you that know Jesus. Why? Because all of you have a disease, a dreaded disease, that is rotting you from the inside, that isolates you more than you can ever imagine from fellowship with God, That is killing you. And ultimately one day in eternity will kill you. But Jesus the King. Came to you. Became a man. And took upon himself your uncleanness. On the cross. Became ostracized and isolated from the fellowship of God. For you. What did he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced that isolation that you should have. Why? To trade places. So that in him, you would enjoy fellowship and restoration. So that you would be made whole. So that you would be given hope. So that you'd be saved. This story is the story of redemption for all people. My prayer this morning is that you know this story very well, that you've experienced this story personally. Because the good news is that if you haven't, if you haven't, there is hope. There is hope, and it's found in Jesus. He hung on the cross. And was isolated and dirty for you. He wants to trade places with you. He wants to sit under God's wrath so that you don't have to. And all he says is that you believe in him. That you would trust him. That you would make him your king. If you've never done that, I would encourage you to do that today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this picture of redemption. Thank you for this story about a terrible disease and a man that has that disease and about a king that came to heal him. A king that came to restore him. A king that came to get dirty and be isolated to trade places with him. Lord, I pray that the truth of this passage would resound in our hearts today. That we would be gripped by the reality of your grace in a way that we never have been before. Or that you would captivate us by your Holy Spirit and with your grace, that it would bind us such that we cannot run. That you would pursue us wherever we are, or that you would by your instantaneous, miraculous, creative ability save us. That you would transform us from children of darkness. Into children of Lord. Father, if there are those in this place this morning that do not know you, that have never experienced this transformation, may they see the reality of the gospel this morning. Lord, may they be changed. Father, encourage our faith today as we struggle in life to trust you.